Chapter Fifteen of Tom Playfair or Making a Start by Francis J. Finn, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Fifteen In Which Tom is Lost. Tom was at last free to follow his bent. From the moment he had left St. Mars to the present, he had had no fun to use his own expression now that he was rid of mr meadow he was determined to make the best of the opportunity nor did the question of ways and means trouble him in the matter of amusement tom like every well-constituted small boy was of unfailing resource say he began to the ticket seller i'm going out how'll i get back you can take a carriage said the facetious ticket seller if you don't care about walking tom returned his grin i mean how'll i get back without paying over again oh here's a check johnny how are you enjoying the performance it's made me glad to get out and without waiting for the ticket seller's retort tom satisfied that he had squared accounts sallied forth into the night and cast his eyes about in search of a confectionery the street was brilliant with electric lights every variety of store seemed to be in the neighborhood of the theatre two saloons across the way sandwiched between them an oyster house and stretching to either side were shops of many kinds all open and all seemingly driving a busy trade tom took a long look at the saloons he was impressed not favorably indeed with a number of men in each pshaw he muttered it makes me feel like taking the pledge for life he had scarcely made this reflection when his attention was arrested by the sight of a small boy who with a bundle of papers under his arm passed one of the saloons and pausing in front of the oyster house stood gazing in through the large show-glass tom was growing lonesome with a hop and a bound he crossed the street and noiselessly placed himself behind the newsboy the object of his attention was a lad of little more than eleven he was neatly but scantily attired the sleeves of his jacket and knees of his knickerbockers were patched and his shoes were open at the toes the face was quite beautiful beautiful with some hint of refinement all the more beautiful perhaps that it was touched and softened by sadness but the eyes large and black how eagerly they looked into that window tom was satisfied with the inspection he put himself alongside the newsboy and set to staring in himself paper sir said the boy what paper post or time star how much two cents for the star sir and one cent for the post sir you needn't talk to me as if i was your father said tom i'll tell you what i'll do johnny i'll take a copy of each and give you a dime form if you'll tell me your name thank you sir my name's arthur vane and arthur received tom's ten-cent piece with unmistakable signs of gratitude and my name's tom playfer just drop that sir and call me tom i'm glad to meet a fellow my own size i haven't talked to a boy for three days and grown people are so tiresome arthur here smiled and the twinkle in his eye evinced that for all his sadness he was naturally a merry lad i think he put in that it might be better if you could get boys of your own class in life to talk with you just listen to him said tom apostrophizing the oyster shop talking to me as if i wasn't an american why arthur i'm a democrat but your mother and father mightn't like it said arthur very much astonished with his new acquaintance my father's in st louis answered tom 
and my mother's in heaven. And what's more, you're just as well up in talk as most boys of your size, and it's my opinion that you haven't been on the streets very long either. I took a good look at you before I came up, and I'll bet anything you're not used to taking care of yourself. You're right, Tom. I've been supporting myself and little sister for only two months. Papa died when he came here, and left us only a little money. A little sister, too? Yes, Tom. Poor little Kate has been very sick, but now she's almost well. She's in charge of the kind sisters. Instead of continuing the conversation, Tom caught Arthur by the shoulder and, bending down, stared straight into his eyes. See here, he began after a pause. Can you remember the last time you got a square meal? The lustrous-eyed boy with the pale, thin face smiled again. I had a pretty good meal yesterday, but today I've had hard luck. This morning I was stuck. On the Latin verb or a pitchfork, or what? queried Tom. Arthur laughed again. That's a newsboy's term, Tom. We're stuck when we buy papers and have a lot left unsold. Oh, that's it. So you didn't get a square meal today. I had a plate of soup and two pieces of bread at noon. How much? asked Tom. Six cents. Phew! Think of a little boy going around with six cents worth of provisions. Say, Arthur, do you like oysters? Oh, don't I? exclaimed Arthur with enthusiasm. I thought you meant something by looking in through that window. It's the same way with me, continued Tom gravely. I'm uncommonly fond of oysters myself, and so are all my friends. Now I'll treat. You go right in and order all you want. Here's a dollar. Is that enough? I'd like to take it, said Arthur, looking wistfully at the money. But I can't. It isn't fair. But it is fair, answered Tom. You're worth a dollar to me and more. Oh, Arthur, you don't know how tired I am of hearing grown folks talking about elections and stocks and bonds. That's all I've been listening to for three days. It's terrible. It got so bad that I felt like praying never to grow up. After further words, Arthur consented to take fifty cents. He was about to enter the oyster house when Tom snatched his bundle of papers. What are you up to now, Tom? I'll keep the business going at the old stand while you're eating. I'll sell. And without waiting for remonstrance, Tom darted away. Here you are, he shouted, putting in his head at the saloon to his right. All the evening papers with all the news about the elections and stocks and bonds. Elections? Where? exclaimed a portly gentleman, holding a glass in suspense. Don't know, sir. There's always news about elections in the paper. The gentleman smiled, and joining in the laughter at his expense, bought a paper and insisted on several of his companions following his example. Tom, richer by fifteen cents, repaired to the next saloon. Here he made the same announcement, and was sternly ordered out by a barkeeper, all bang and jewelry. Nothing daunted, he took a position at the nearest street corner and exerted his eloquence on every passer-by. But he found this slow work. Five minutes passed, and he had disposed of but one more paper. I didn't get a fair chance in that saloon, he murmured. I think I'll try it again. He peered in cautiously this time, and when the barkeeper's back was turned, rushed in. Last chance, gentlemen! Here are all the evening papers, complete and unabridged. The barkeeper, with an ugly word, sprang over the counter and made a rush at him. Tom stood his ground, looking the enraged attendant squarely in the face. Which paper do you want, sir? Time, star, or post? Get out of here, you beggar, cried the barkeeper, pausing suddenly as he saw that Tom did not take to flight. 
you needn't call names i'm not a beggar i'm selling these newspapers for a little fellow who's half starved the barkeeper glanced around and perceived at once that the popular sympathy was against him give me a star johnny he said and presently every man in the room was buying a paper tom's pluck had caught their fancy while his declaration had touched their hearts in a few moments he had disposed of his stock and resisting several offers to take a drink hurried away to rejoin arthur he found his little friend seated alone at a large table with a plate of fried oysters before him i'm hungry myself observed tom helping himself liberally to arthur's dish order a dozen more arthur and i'll help you eat them where are the papers inquired arthur sold every one of em i didn't have a bit of trouble though i thought that big barkeeper next door would murder me but he didn't he bought a paper and ended by asking me to take a drink you don't mean to say that you got clennam to buy a paper the fellow to our right but i did though and i sold over fifteen papers in his saloon well you're the funniest boy i ever met there's not a newsboy in the city dares go into his saloon they're afraid of him awfully i was afraid too said tom but when i saw him rushing at me i just braced myself up to see what he'd do tom i'd like to live with you all the time glad you like me arthur go on and order more oysters thank you i've had enough so have i how are you on ice cream let me treat this time tom there's a nice confectionery right around the corner in this realistic age one must be careful not to tell the whole truth lest one be convicted of exaggeration so it passed lightly over the astonishing feats of tom and arthur in the ice-cream parlor as tom paid the bill he glanced at the clock over the counter it wanted twenty-five minutes to twelve arthur i forgot all about him oh gracious who my uncle i left him across there in the theatre why the theatre left out half an hour ago then arthur i'll tell you a secret what tom cried arthur breathlessly for he was impressed with his companion's grave face i'm lost don't you know where you live no don't even know the name of the street uncle meadow will be the maddest man in cincinnati the fact is you were having such a jolly good time that i forgot all about him well you're the queerest boy i ever met i don't see anything queer about it i'm lost and you've got to take care of me that's all arthur laughed musically looking upon him now one would hardly recognize the sad-eyed boy of the previous hour it's so funny tom to hear you talking of being taken care of by me where do you sleep nights continued tom i haven't any regular place since we gave up housekeeping Loa, who gave up housekeeping my little sister and i till she got sick we had two little bits of room in noah's ark noah's ark ejaculated tom that's what the st xavier college boys call it it's a great big tenement house right across the alley from the college and in fact it does look something like an ark well little kate and i were there and happy as larks she was just the best sister and kept the room so bright and cheerful that i used to be so glad to come home after looking around all day for work she could cook and sew like a grown person although she's only nine who paid for you broke in tom well in the beginning we had a little over twelve dollars left by poor papa but after two weeks we had hardly anything left then i had to go to selling papers and taking up all kinds of odd jobs and in spite of all 
I could hardly scrape up enough money to pay the rent. After a while we had hard times getting anything to eat. I didn't mind so much for myself, but poor little Kate kept on getting thinner and paler. Didn't you have any friends? No, Tom. We were strangers in the city. Then Kate took sick, didn't she? Yes, Tom, and a good woman who lived in the tenement got the sisters to take care of her, and now she's quite well. But I don't know what to do. I'm not able to support myself, and I can't bear to think of seeing Kate starving right under my eyes. They were standing under a lamp post during this conversation, and Tom could observe the signs of tears upon his little friend's face. Well, said Tom, checking down his own emotion, we'll hold a council of war tonight before we go to sleep. Do you know any good hotel around here? There's a place across the street, the European Hotel. Tom glanced at the building disdainfully. No, we want something first class. We'll put up at the best hotel you know of. The Burnett House is about four squares away. That sounds better. I think Tom succeeded in astonishing more people on that eventful night than within the same period of time any boy that ever came to Cincinnati. On the register of the Burnett House, he wrote in a large, bold hand, Thomas Playfair, traveling student. And he gravely added to Arthur's signature, Merchant. We want a first-class room and breakfast at seven, said Tom to the clerk, who had become unusually wide awake. Four dollars in advance for the room, sir, said that functionary. I didn't say rooms. We're not accompanied by our families. Here's a dollar for one room. Two dollars, sir, said the clerk, now as thoroughly wide awake as he had ever been in his life. There's the other dollar. You needn't mind about sending up shaving water in the morning. The clerk laughed and, summoning a bellboy, directed him to show the gentleman number eight, second floor. Hotel clerks are men of large experience in certain directions. Hence, notwithstanding the late hour and the fact that the guests were boys without luggage, the aroused official was so taken with the honest little faces before him that he allowed them the privileges of the house without further investigation. I am bound to say, though, that our two friends availed themselves of a privilege not ordinarily accorded to travelers. No sooner had the bellboy left them in possession of their room than Tom picked up a pillow from the bed and proposed a game of catch. Stationing themselves at opposite corners, the two tossed the pillow gently at first, till, growing interested in their work, they threw with not a little energy. And as an agreeable variety, Tom got the other pillow, and before long they came to a genuine pillow fight hurling their downy missiles, and dodging about in a manner that sent the blood to their cheeks, and caused their eyes to dance with excitement. The boy who has no heart for pillow-fighting is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. Let no such boy be trusted. The contest waxed fiercer, that is, merrier, each moment. Finally, Tom, pillow in hand, charged upon Arthur. There was a rapid interchange of blows, such movement and noise of little feet, and a swaying from side to side of the room, till at length, with a well-directed blow, Tom sent his antagonist sprawling upon the bed. It was then they noticed for the first time that someone was gently knocking at the door. Oh, said Arthur, turning pale, we're in for it now. Tom threw the door open and found himself facing a mild-eyed old gentleman, who seemed to be far more frightened than Arthur. Good evening, sir. Won't you walk in? I beg your pardon, young sir, but I thought there was a murder or something going on in this room, and I was awakened a few minutes ago by a noise as of people struggling for life. It wasn't that bad, sir. There was a struggle, but it wasn't for life. 
my friend over there on the bed added tom wickedly is very noisy the old gentleman now understood the situation the light that shot from his eye and the smile that curled about his lips evinced that he too had been a boy in the golden long ago well young sir may i ask you as a favor not to make any more noise to-night we old people can't afford to lose our sleep certainly sir honest i didn't think about waking people up i'll behave till morning sir good night good night young sir answered the gentleman smiling benevolently and god bless you what a pity said tom as the door closed that he's grown up he must have been a jolly boy yes indeed assented arthur it's the old story arthur folks get spoiled once they grow up they haven't right ideas about fun now if that old gentleman had been a boy he'd have come rushing in with his pillow yes assented arthur and if all the people in the hotel had been boys they'd all have rushed in with their pillows just so and we'd have had a gorgeous time it's a mistake for people to live long it seems to me if a boy's good the best thing he can do is to die when he's sixteen or seventeen of course if he's a sinner it's right for him to live and take his punishment like a man where did you get that idea tom i don't know but i've thought about it lots the last few days you see if a boy doesn't do anything real bad he's bound to be pretty happy then he dies and goes to heaven where there's just no end of fun and gets saved hearing all that stuff about elections and stocks and bonds some boys have awful troubles tom well the sooner they get to heaven the better just the same i'm not anxious to die yet i want to make my first communion there were two friends of mine arthur struck down dead but it was on the first friday and both were speaking about having gone to communion that very day they're all right come let's say our prayers and then when we get to bed i'll tell you all about it and before these two lads went to sleep they had built in the intimacy of an hour a friendship which we older folk find to be the work of many years End of chapter 15 Recording by Maria Therese